Welcome to Latter-day Struggles, your podcast that tackles all things spiritual development and psychological growth in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints tradition. This is your host, Valerie, and I have Nathan with me again today. Hello, Nathan, today. (laughs) Hello, Valerie. (laughs) How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Good, good. So we tackled last time, we started with three of the nine points that we wanted to walk you guys through in a diagnostic check of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints regarding issues of how vulnerable we are or how much we are a, a system that struggles with some spiritual abuse. Nathan mentioned in the last episode, now you guys don't have to jump back and listen to that last episode, but I kind of encourage you to do so because it does sort of set the stage a little bit. He did open last, I was gonna say last session, <laughs> my therapist brain going on there. He opened our last episode with by reading the 121st section of the Doctrine and Covenants talking about unrighteous dominion and how inclined we are um, as human beings, really, and certainly as human beings that get into a position of power with people that are following us, how how inclined we are naturally to to really exploit other people and to be exploitative in the systems that we run. And this is just a predisposition that we all have to be extraordinarily aware of to not create spirit, to not create abusive systems anywhere. This can be in fat with family systems. This can be corporate systems. This can be anywhere, but right now we're really touching in on the spiritual abuse that may be going on in our own beloved church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So last episode, we talked about power posturing, We talked about unspoken rules. These are all components of spiritually abusive systems. And then we talked about uh, a preoccupation with measurement and performance. Okay, so today we're going to hit three more. So these three I'm going to just give you as an overview, and we're going to break each one down. So these are three more components of spiritually abusive systems. Once again, um, we did not make these up. I will link in the show notes the um, authors and the researchers who looked into these are for these are researchers that are researching in general uh churches so this is not these are not people that um had it out for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints it just so happens that these things um apply to us so here we go to some (laughs) degree to some degree (laughs) yeah okay and I'm going to be uh, checking in about why you're laughing in a second here. So you, I want you to be uh, right. Just because it might as well have been written directly to us. <laughs> <It does. laughs> they're, they're not, they're not LDS. They're clearly not LDS because they use terminology like pastors and so forth that, right. you know, that they come from a Protestant background, but I mean, it might as well have been written to us. It was a little, um, I'm not going to lie to you guys. It was creepy. Yeah. It was creepy. And I read, I read this book first and I said, Nath, whoa. This is a very well-written book. It's not a toxic, angry book. It's written by a gentleman who's a pastor and a gentleman who's a pastor, and I believe he's also a therapist. Um, And all they want to do is help. They just have done an enormous amount of documentation and research and interviews um, and looked at a large number of churches to narrow down the component parts of churches that struggle with spiritual abuse. And... um, yeah, it was humbling to say the least. Okay, so uh, so I'm gonna hit, uh, let's go ahead and start with component number four of systems that struggle with spiritual abuse. Um, or I could call this unrighteous dominion too. You mentioned that last, last time and I really yeah. liked the, that phrasing because that is a little bit like, you know, that's sort of our brand, mm-hmm. you know? Okay, so uh, component number four is systems that struggle with spiritual abuse have a tendency to hover over personal decisions of the members. Yeah. 
All right, why don't you go ahead and jump in on that? I know you have lots of things to say. Well, <laughs> there's lots that could be said. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to overdo this, but, yeah. um, you know, when we talk about our purpose in this life to become like our heavenly parents, to learn about our heavenly father, our heavenly mother and our savior, Jesus Christ, and to learn to think like they think and love like they love and model the way we treat each other after the way that they treat us. The, the, the purpose of a church is to point us to God, yes. to the gods and not to dictate every little aspect of what that's supposed to look like. And I think the more an institution becomes afraid, the more fear it's working under, and the more spiritual abuse, uh, power abuse, that it begins to delude itself about, the more we see this manipulation of every aspect of our lives. It begins to tell us, you know, that how many earrings we can wear. Uh, or how far down our shirts have to come. It tells us what we're supposed to do on Sunday and Monday night and Thursday afternoon and Saturday mornings. It begins to take away from us this ability to be an individual, to share our individuality through our own personalities. And I, I, we see this in the church, and it, and it just gets worse and worse as we go. They tell us what we can drink. They tell us what we can wear. They tell us you know, there was a time when they told us what part of the country we could live in and, mm -hmm. you know, which continent you could live in. If you lived in Europe and you joined the church, you had to come to America. Well, well why? You know, why all these things? Well, for the most part, I think it's because they operate under fear. That's that's how I see this unfolding. I'm loving what you're saying, Nathan, because what you're reminding me of actually is something I'm not going to be able to directly quote it. But C.S. Lewis talked a lot about how, interestingly, the more the closer we come become the how do I say this okay give me a second the more we are made over in the image of God two things happen paradoxically at the same time the more we become like God and the more we actually become beautifully uniquely ourselves mm -hmm. we diverge in two different directions paradoxically we become like them our parents in heaven we right. become really really beautifully ourselves with our own thoughts and feelings and opinions and passions and interests and, and this is the thing that's beautiful about spiritual growth you guys is that the more spiritually mature we become which goes right hand in hand with the our psychologically maturity the more we're able to discern for ourselves what we get to do and become in this one big beautiful life that we each have yeah the more we can actually look at this is a nuanced topic right you guys because it's not to say that institutions that we join um, are always wrong in offering opportunities in having available programs <laughs> right that is fine but when it starts to look like you need you have to look this way right that's when it becomes spiritually abusive and if i may say for me one of the more um, potent signs of a spiritually abusive system, at least as I've noticed in my own life, as I've had to sort of work through this myself, is the micromanagement of the most intimate of um, issues in family life. Mm -hmm. The bearing of children. Right. How soon to bear children. Right. How many children to have. How, how early to marry. Yeah. How to govern when to become educated. Those, you guys, are incredibly personal, intimate questions mm -hmm. of the soul that quite frankly are not any business 
of a big institution that is spiritually abusive. Yeah, good good points actually. Those are those are really good examples. My examples are kind of how they sometimes manipulate the minutia. No, uh, well, with, I think my well, sorry, but I win. Mine are more important. <laughs> oh no, yours are way more important. No, 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 my, mine are definitely minutia. And we, and we talked last time about yeah. uh, how you know a sign of a spiritually abusive uh, church is, is is that they turn minutia into major things. But what you just mentioned is are really important. I mean, it, th those are life destroying kinds of manipulations when when you start telling people or shaming people into when to marry, who to marry, how to marry, how many kids to have you know, what careers you can or can't have yep. if you're a woman. Uh, and so, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. They just, none of this falls under the jurisdiction of an institution. Absolutely, Nathan. And this actually circles us back to something we talked a little bit about in our last episode, which is we become very vulnerable to spiritual abuse when we are, when we buy in yeah. to power posturing, absolutely. meaning that when we hand over the beautiful and most like the most profound and precious gift that we have we hand over a lot of times our agency mm -hmm. to these people that posture power and then we allow them to dictate our personal life decisions and then when things aren't um, going well for us frequently because we have no relationship with our own inner divine yeah. we become very lost and you guys I, I feel tons of passion about this because to be honest with you as a therapist one of my niches is I work with people in psychological, spiritual burnout. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm talking with them about all of the time. And I'm not even just referring to people of our faith tradition. I'm talking about people who have lost touch with their themselves, mm -hmm. with their inner divine self <laughs> that right. guides, who am I? Why am I here? What am I here to do? What am I passionate about? What is the one big, beautiful, special thing that I am supposed to do is I become made over in the image of my higher power, whoever or whatever that is. Many people don't even have a clue. And most of the time it's because they have handed that over to something else. It may not be their church, but oftentimes it's something. It's their dad. Yeah. It might be their mom. It might be corporate America, but their they spouse. have their spouse. It's they, ha they have handed themselves over to another entity and they have lost touch with themselves. And so they don't even have the capacity to make um, decisions, small or large, and they get lost. And so spiritually abusive systems actually, in my opinion, exploit that by basically saying, we have the power, trust us, mm -hmm. do what we tell you in this order, right. and then you will be okay. Well, inevitably, the crap hits the fan at some point in time because it doesn't always work out. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And that's, I think, where um, people move into out of orthodoxy and into skepticism. If you guys listen to my um, Stages of Faith um, Sunstone Symposium uh, broadcast or episode a few episodes ago, I talked a lot about we move into more mature development when the shit hits the fan. It, it needs to. We want it to. We want to challenge. Why are you laughing? Because you abbreviated that word really well. <laughs> I did what? You abbreviated that really well. Oh. It's the fan. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well done. All right. No, absolutely. And I, and I agree with you 100%. And, you know, I was just, I, I just reconnected with a friend who has, who has left the church. We were friends years ago. He's left the church. And uh, his, his reason that he gave me is his bottom line reason for leaving the church is he said, my lived experience no longer coordinated with what I had been taught my whole life. Wow. And he pointed to a number of things that you just pointed to that we both have pointed to, but yeah. you pointed to, um, he lived in California during the prop eight, 
uh, campaign. And he said, I didn't agree with Prop 8, but I was so pressured to get out and politically campaign for the Prop 8 thing. And he's like, and I didn't agree with it and, and, and things like wow. that. And it's like, yeah, the, the church has no business and the church calls itself politically neutral. And then it lied by but saying we're going to you know, campaign for Prop 8. And, and it was just another example of how those kinds of things drive people away, because ultimately, like you said, our lived experience is not consistent with the church's manipulation of every little aspect of our lives. And we either give up our identity or we fight against it. Right. And I think what we're trying to do here on this podcast is we're trying to walk this nuanced line of how can we be mentors and leaders from the edge of the inside of the institution and say, you know what? We want to help the institution help itself yeah. because we believe, I know for myself, I mean, I believe to my core in the doctrine of the atonement as I learned it in the Book of Mormon. Right. That's, that's, prob- that's one of the things I just hold on to with both hands. Me too. And so it's like, okay, this, there is truth in this church. Does it hold the, you know, does it hold it to have a monopoly? Absolutely not. But there is goodness and truth in this church and it's, it's heritage. It's a bond. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, we have to have the courage to, to push back and to say, no, hands off of this church, hands off of that church. You don't get to dictate the nuances of my life, even down to what my beliefs are. Isn't that, I mean, I know that sounds probably a little bit edgy, but your friend, if he truly believed to his core, that um, the church was mistreating the LGBTQ plus people in, in the early 2000s, that ought to have been respected. Right. And it sounds like in some ways he was, he was strong-armed into doing something that he, that he didn't feel good about. And then what happened is because it was handled poorly, he pushed back so hard that he felt like he had to leave to stay in his integrity. Right. No. And, and the problem is, or the sad thing is, is that maybe if he had felt he had the right to push back early, yep. he wouldn't have felt like he had to leave. Yep. Um, and I don't know that. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I, I question on some of these things. If people had the courage earlier on to say, no, I don't accept that, if they could learn to, to straddle that line. Um, you know, and so the a sub point of this, and this is kind of our next point, is the idea that spiritual manipulative institutions try to manipulate you financially. It's, it's one of many aspects, but it's one that apparently comes up enough that, that it's its own topic. these researchers have made it its own topic. They, they try to manipulate you financially. Um, we are horrible. Yeah, we struggle <laughs> at, a lot with at that. manipulating people financially. Uh, we guilt people into paying tithing. We guilt them into paying tithing on their gross. We guilt them into paying, in addition to their tithing, fast offerings, mission contributions, temple funds, Book of Mormon funds, uh, paying for your own children to go on missions when, if and when they get to that age and choose to go on missions. Um, and, you know, it just, the list just goes on and on and on. And it's amazing to me um, how many different fingers they try to put their how many different pots they put their fingers in with uh our own personal finances it's um it's a situation that has sort of um grown and morphed and changed over the years i've actually been reading um gosh one of the best histories of the church i think i mean the the by far the the most detailed research of the church um i've ever read Uh, i'm reading d michael quinn's books on the origins of power and the extensions of power and i can definitely i have a better understanding of our church's complicated relationship with money, to say the least. (laughs) 
I mean, I think that's, you know, many of us have a complicated relationship with money. It's one of the ways that we relate to the world that brings up a lot of our issues around fear and instability. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I do so much therapy with people around the issue of money. And we all have, or m- many of us have very complex relationships with money because it's something that brings up a lot of our existential issues around, am I safe in the world? Yeah. And the church early on was not very safe in the world. The church had a lot of financial issues. Of course, everyone knows about, well, I shouldn't ever say that, but many of us know that they, the church almost failed in Kirtland because uh, the bank failed and there were some terrible, terrible investment choices and whatnot. So we went through that. It was a, a, a grand scale apostasy that happened back then. And we call that apostasy, but it was probably some people that had um, been legitimately hurt and had some legitimate faith and trust issues that legitimately left for legitimate reasons. Right. <laughs> so I want to unsay that it was apostasy. Um, and then you move on, and even as the uh, decades go by, the church um, has struggled financially um, in, in many different eras of the church. Okay, so enter in as we move into the second half of the of the of the twentieth century. Um, we move into the correlation era, and evidently the church. I mean, clearly the church changes the way it manages things, and it starts to do better financially. And fast forward to today and the church is per capita one of the richest institutions or churches in the world i'm not misspeaking am i i mean it's no i mean i I think peter bleakley did the research on this and he said we were we would be like the 36th richest nation in the world if we were a nation it's it's what we have our assets per capita i think we are per capita are um we don't have more than the catholic church but per person we are i think we're quite a bit more wealthy than catholic church per person and so the fact of the matter is that we have a little bit of financial trauma is how i see this which has moved into a present day struggle with hoarding yeah and in my opinion with some degree of exploitation of the membership of the church absolutely yeah absolutely and and you know i i have a massive issue with the new legal banner that comes up on the church's website when you want to make a donation uh which says basically thank you for making your donation to the church we will somewhat attempt to use the money in the manner that we tell you that we're going to use the money but every time you make a donation it becomes our property and basically we can do whatever the hell we want with it and it's it's um what, what I read with a lot of sadness as I see that is once again, we're moving back up to point number one of this whole entire discussion, which is power posturing. Yeah. I don't have to be accountable, accountable to you. Absolutely. And go ahead. I'm sorry. I can tell you're hot. Go. Keep I talking. am hot, but you go ahead. Maybe it's better for you to go. <laughs> <laughs> I just think we feel very, very strongly about this, Nathan, right? Because you and I have um, been poor <laughs> for a very, for a lot of life of our life. And we both have an incredibly strong testimony for for the giving to the poor and for tithing absolutely we feel really strongly about that and yet at the same time we want the institution where our loyalties lie to be responsible to be honorable to be um to be willing to be accountable Accountable. i know you and i talked a lot about how we um that there are other institutions that have a very different banner that pops up Mm -hmm. when you donate there and it is basically that there is a third party Yep. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah. So, so we have looked at other charities, um, Catholic charities, uh, International Red Cross were two that, that we have chosen to give to at times. 
And in both cases, when you go on their website, there's a banner that pops up that says 10% of what you donate is going to go to administrative costs. People that run our programs, the websites that we run, you know, the gasoline to get us from here to there. And 90% of what you donate will go to what you have chosen for it to go to. So if you donate to the hungry, it will go to the hungry. If you donate to the war in Ukraine, which we have chosen to do with some of our tithing money, it will go to the war in Ukraine. And that kind of transparency really appeals to me. Well, and I think they also said there's a third party. It's monitored. Yeah. That, is, that monitors that is not the institution <laughs> itself. Right. And so once again, that is you guys, I think, and again, I'm trying not to be specifically picking on, we all are, we're vulnerable to not doing this right unless we have a third party looking over our shoulder. Yeah. And we this, need that. And this junk in general conference about, you know, the church's auditing department standing up and reading the same statement every year, you know, according to the revelation, everything has been done, you know, correct. Well, those are people that are on the they're payroll. Inside. They're on the inside. Yeah, and so it's not, in my opinion, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off. No. It, it's not the same as an independent third party auditing Auditor. that, yeah. that walks through with complete impartiality to tell the institution and help the institution see its blind spots. All institutions have blind spots, you guys. And especially when you start talking about the sacred dollars of the, of the constituents in the institution that are giving, and many of these people are giving um, the widow's might. Yeah. And they don't want that money to be given to securities funds. Yeah. And to investment funds and, and shopping things. malls. Right. And so I think what has sort of um, once again, if, if we were to talk about like checks and balances, they're, they're there. The thing of it is that they're not the most effective and um, trust and faith inducing checks and balances, because what ends up happening is it's the press yeah. that comes forward and says, wait, hold on. This isn't OK, as opposed to. You know, interestingly, okay, I know we need to move on to the next yeah. point, but one more thing is that I, I will say is that I've been reading, um, once again, back to uh, Origins of Power and Extensions of Power by D. Michael Quinn, and he talks a lot about in the late 50s, there was a bit of a shift, and I could give a whole podcast episode on that, but I'm, I'm remembering with a lot of respect, there was a, a, a moment in time where J. Reuben Clark really pushed back against some of the others in the higher quorums of the church because he wanted financial transparency. He wanted the church to see if and when they were in the red for whatever reason and how much to the dollar. And that evidently had actually been protocol in the church until the late 50s because some poor financial choices were made by um, a member of the first presidency that was over the finances. Um, Elder Moyle was his name. And from that point on, that stopped happening because they didn't want to be transparent and actually tell the, the, the body of the church where they were financially. And J. Reuben Clark was very upset about that. He says, we need to be accountable to the constituents of our church. And he was voted down. And um, here we are. To my knowledge, I don't know that there is any uh, accountability like that um, in the here and now. So yep. did you have something you wanted to say? No, or should I, we move on? I, I okay. think we should move on. Okay, let's move on to point number six. So let's just run. I'm going to run through all of them right here um, just to give you guys a little bit of an overview. Uh, spiritual abusive systems struggle with power posturing. That's point number one. Point number two is unspoken rules. Uh, point number three is uh, performance preoccupation. 
or measurement issues. Uh, uh, point number four is hovering over personal decisions of the membership. Point number five is financial manipulation. And point number six, spiritually abusive systems struggle with wanting to be the exclusive monopoly on God inside of that institution. Hmm. And yikes, that is, um, quite honestly, that, that may be kind of one of our, our hallmarks. Yeah. That, that we really do struggle with feeling like we are it. Yeah. We are the one and only true church. And it's so pervasive that, of course, we dedicate one meeting a month to the sort of reiteration of that sentiment worldwide over and over and over and over and over and over again in our fast and testimony meetings. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's not to say that we don't have truth, and it's not to say that we don't have some re revealed truth, like the Book of Mormon that we've already mentioned, which does give us some unique perspectives. Mm -hmm. But the idea that we are, have a monopoly on truth, uh, of these six points, this actually might be the easiest one to see through. Um, my lived experience is that once I started reading some of the Catholic friars and priests, right. um, Richard Rohr, um, Anthony DeMello, some of these other guys, my brain was blown open by how spiritually insightful these men were and how much they could offer me some perspectives that I didn't even get from my own church. And so now I'm sitting here suddenly saying, well, well these aren't general authorities. They, they're not part of the you know, priesthood line of authority that's supposed to be the, the end all, know all for truth. And yet my lived experience is that Anthony DeMello, you know, God rest his soul, has changed my life more than any single living general authority. No offense to the current journal authorities, but Anthony DeMello changed my life more than any, any living apostle in my current church. And so that is not my experience. My lived experience is that there are good, spiritually enlightened people in all walks of life, period. Amen. I could not agree more. And I have absolutely thoroughly enjoyed over the last many years my own personal discovery of prophets in every religion and in no religion at all. Mm -hmm. And so for us to make a claim that we are the only true church, I categorically disagree with. And secondly, what I like to think about it is we are a church that houses truths. Every church and, and, and there are various institutions. There are very, one of my, my prophets is a man by the name of James Hollis. Right. He's a Jungian psychoanalyst. I have never come closer to understanding the nature of God and my relationship with God than through reading Jungian psychoanalyst James Hollis. Yeah, he, to one. me, is a prophet. Yep. Yeah, and he's so, been helpful to me too. And so there, and there are many of them, and they're in churches, and they're out of churches, and they're in academia, and they're men, and they're women, and they're Christian, and they're Jewish, and they're Hindu, and they're and they're Muslim. There are so there is so much truth. We are a small section of the garden of the world that houses truth. Yeah. And so for us to um, make truth claims the way we do is absolutely. Uh, uh, makes it, it illustrates the nature of a system that, first of all, is completely self, well, completely is a, a strong word, is self-deceived. Yeah. And it also pushes people away because we're not actually dignifying the truths that they could bring us and that they teach us on the daily if we have the ears to hear. Yeah. This actually um, takes us to our next three points that we're going to cover 
in our next episode, you guys. So what we've covered today is um, points three, four through six, points four through six of how to detect spiritual abuse or unrighteous dominion in systems, religious systems. And we kind of just locked in on some of the things we've noticed about our own system and um, thoughts and feelings that we've had about how to um, speak up how to expose these things so that our system can become more healthy. If we don't talk about these things, they become, the problem becomes bigger and bigger. One of the topics that we talked about is this idea of unspoken rules. What you're noticing here is even though we are talking, we are talking about spiritually abusive systems and in so doing, we're breaking one of the rules that that is a rule of a spirit, is sort of a a way that you know you're in a spiritually abusive system, which is we are speaking things that are generally not spoken. Um, we're breaking the can't talk rule. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes what that means is if you if you expose the problem, you become the problem. Mm-hmm. Right? right? And Nathan and I have prayerfully considered, we have um, taken this to God um, countless times and feel like we can we can own that, we can handle, we, we, we are okay with speaking up because we are on God's errand and that's all that really matters to us. So in the next episode, we're going to go through and talk about why it's hard to stand up um, and sometimes um, speak up and even um, leave spiritually abusive systems if that's what ends up needing to happen. So we'll catch you guys next time for the last of this three-part series. And grateful to have you guys here as per usual. If you are willing, please pause right now. Just you're on your phone, probably listening. Jump onto iTunes, write a positive review that helps people trust that what we're doing um, is meaningful, that it matters, that it's helpful. that It's helping you psychologically and spiritually grow closer to God. Rate the, rate the podcast, pass it on to your friends and family. Um, it's growing rather quickly at this point in time, and we need more of you to share. This is how this is how systems heal. This is how our system can heal. I thank you guys all for being here, and we will see you next time.